another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to The Gathering Songs, The Dark Crystal Discussions. The story runs deeper than you know, and you are part of it. And what are those funny marks? This is all writing. What's writing? Words that stay. When single shines the triple sun. Of your sundered and undone shall behold the two made one. And here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to The Gathering Songs. This is your Dark Crystal Discussion uh, show. I'm your host, Philip Mitchell. I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in as we continue discussing the third book of J.M. Lee's three book, the four book series, I should say, with his fourth book, Flames of the Dark Crystal, coming out on the 27th of August, so which is all really exciting. And I guess what was really interesting is the timing of it all, actually, because his books actually come out three days before the show comes out with the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance that is due to, uh, that'll be out on August the 30th. So today we are talking about Tides of the Dark Crystal, the third book, and we are up to chapters 23 and we're going to go through through it all, 23 to 26, to wrap up the third book of uh, the series. So with me, I've got uh, two two special guests. I've got Peter M. Peter, Thank you for, for being on the show. Thanks, as always, for having me here. No worries. And we have Nancy Gray. Nancy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me again. No worries. And yeah, I think we might as well just, I mean, if you haven't listened to any of the previous episodes of The Gathering Songs, we have done a lot of discussions on all the books with J.M. Lee's books thus far. So um, definitely listen to those episodes if you want to follow along with us. But yeah, I think we might as well jump in and let's start with chapter 23. So they're actually up to the moment in this story where previously they they arrived at Hurrah, they found out from the Skeksis that Celadonna, the old Mordra, uh, has died or the Skeksis have killed them. And so they were trying to figure out what to do and they decide, yeah, to... There's sort of like an area of trees, I think, called, you know, the, the Waystar uh, Grove as they're trying to think about the best way to sort of send a message to all the Gelflings, uh, all the Vapra Gelflings, I guess in particular, because even though Vapra, I think, oh, the Hora is the main capital of Gelflings, uh, it, it seems like it's still like sort of primarily, you know, the Vapra, they pretty much, that's their spot that they live in, which I thought is, yeah, sort of interesting in that regard, yeah. And so when, you know, I guess, you know, it's sort of a fun little moment, you know, where they're trying to just, because I mean, in, in this moment, like they had to disguise themselves as Vapra to sort of blend in with the crowd. And we have like little moments where it's like, you know, Tavra asks Samri that if anything happens to her, you know, to tell Bria that, that her sister didn't um, abandon her. And so they sort of plan it all out. I liked that scene where Amory's like, hey, does this make me look like a silver ring? And that, I was going to that too. I loved it. just kind of blushes and says, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was a great Very moment. cute. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, like, I mean, this is really from this part onwards where Amory really uh, steps up. Yes. Of course, you know, in previous books, we've had um, Nye's point of view and Kylan's point of view. And this is now Amory's sort of point of view. So this is really like a big moment from him onwards. I think, you know, as the journey is pretty much left up to Amory to sort of guide the way 
of course, being a Grotten Gelfling and being able to see in the dark, you know, used to living in caves, that he's able to sort of guide the Gelflings like through the mountains and um, up towards the way, the way Star Grove. It, it was just really interesting. And then, of course, you know, sort of they, they do see a house, sort of like a lone house by itself. And they start to sort of go in and sort of see what that's all about. And of course, like inside the home was like a... I think it was described as just a stone table and a firewell. Like it was a, seemed like a very, I don't know, almost like an empty kind of house. Like there wasn't, well, there wasn't much there. There was some papers here and there and, and they sort of, you know, use that sort of as a, as a resting point before continuing on their journey. And I mean, this was sort of the big reveal that we sort of, you know, we hear someone entering the room and she opens the door and, and we find out that, that it's Skeksa which was sort of good to have her back into the story. Like when I was reading the story the first time during that Christmas time, when she kind of disappeared like early on in the story, I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm so curious if she's going to come back somehow, like because she's, you know, a big part of, you know, of the story, you know, being in the front cover and all. So it was kind of cool to sort of, um, you know, not good for the Gelflings, but, but from just from the storytelling, just it was good to see that character back into the story. I yeah, had a I, feeling that was going to happen. <laughs> I, I did too, and I was curious as to how, because they had moved away from the ocean. So this is a very interesting way that J.M. Uh, Lee decided to bring it back and show us you know, how self-serving that she is too. Wasn't it the swimmer's... Um, I'm sorry, I forget his name, but the, wasn't it the swimmer's house? Because he had all those uh, nautical charts and things like that, and I think that's what she was after. Yeah, Ursan, the swimmer. Yeah. Yeah, of course, that would be Skeksa's uh, counterpart. Mm-hmm. Because Ursan's home was in the water, because that was uh, with Amri when he uh, got sunk down, you know, into the ocean and, and, and encountered with Ursan, right? That's right, yes. Mm-hmm. But it's obvious that Ursan needed a onshore thing. You can't really use paper in the water. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah of course yeah it makes me wonder if she actually because she's looking for him it makes you wonder if they actually talked at some point i don't think she was there necessarily to capture him but she needed those charts and things like that and acted surprised that he wasn't there but, I mean, she could have been there to, to capture him. I don't know. It's just, it seems she was more interested in the charts in the first place. And it makes you wonder if they ever actually talked. I, I think that's a really interesting point, Nancy. It's, I, there's not a whole lot that I've seen where we dive into the bond that still exists between uh, the two halves. You know, do they know where each other are in general? Are they kind of like twins? You know, they have a twin sense. Uh, Is it uncomfortable talking to the other half? Because you get a feeling you know what they're going to say, but they don't say exactly that. There's a lot of interesting questions. Yeah, because, I mean, I know with with the film, uh, the only connection that they both really have is when one is in pain or, you know, when when one skexis is bleeding, then that happens to the other mystic. That's the thing, whether there's a lot more to, you know, if the Skeksis is feeling that way, that, yeah, just sort of that if there's that sort of twin presence, sort of that sort of thing. And that might be something that might be really interesting to see if they um, if they go about that sort of way with, with the show, with the Age of Resistance, yeah, yeah. 
And I guess, you know, as we, you know, continue moving on, we are up to chapter 24. Skeksar, he sort of knows about who, who those, you know, Gelfling are and knows the truth and uh, knows who Naya is. And because, um, yeah, I think early on in the story, I think she was a bit suspicious, but she didn't really, you know, 100% knew that Naya was, you know, Gurdjian's uh, twin brother and all that kind of stuff. So... So, of course, um, you know, Skeksa, you know, she grabs uh, Naya and said that, you know, she's willing to let Amri, Kylan and, and Tay, like, leave, essentially, in exchange for Naya to herself and to take Naya, presumably, back to the crystal, the castle of the crystal. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of disturbing, but <laughs> she talks about how she's a good friend with Ritual Master Skeksog. So, basically... Um, she said because he had a keen interest in them, then she also had a keen interest as well. And maybe it's just the undertone, but I got the feeling there was a little more than friendship there. So which in my notes, I'm like, Skeksy's love, gross. But, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't go there. I don't need that image. <laughs> yeah. I didn't need the image either, but I just started thinking to myself, I mean, clearly they probably do have friendships within the group, you know, some people that they care, don't care about. Like she was talking about how, you know, she could care less if they burned the Chamberlain's eyes out, but you know, Skekzog, it's like she wants to impress him. I got that impression. Yeah. And, and cause like early on in the story, like she mentioned that, Oh, you know, I've been on this on, in the waters and the ocean for so many years. So I haven't like been in contact with them. So I guess it's sort of implied that she was lying, like, I guess early on in the story and all, all, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? My thoughts are that the Skeksis don't care for one another. They care for themselves and how others can serve them. So obviously with Skeksok, it's a mutually beneficial relationship in some ways. And, you know, we, again, see that selfishness. Uh, in terms of what Skeksa thinks that uh, she can get out of the situation, uh, not thinking of benefiting any of the other Skeksis. It's what can I get out of this? Yeah. She does want Naya for herself, and that probably is because, you know, that gives her leverage. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, Naya and is the she, big prize. Yeah. And if she's not lying and she is a good friend with this individual... But then, you know, that makes her look good as well, which is another reason she wants to get to catch her. Well, I mean, really, all of them are jockeying to be the emperor is what I understand. However, that happens. I don't know. She, she's a puzzling one, because even if yes, she's jockeying to be the emperor, it seems like she almost wanted uh, something I gathered from just her interactions with the Sifa clan, maybe she was trying to help them, maybe she wasn't, but I think she really liked having them kind of kowtow to her. I think oh, she really yeah. liked she really liked being what she thought she was, which was the master of the Sifa. And um, it's almost like, I think she thought of them almost like pets, you know? Like, they were her own little personal tribe, so in her, in their, her own way, she felt kind of like she was the emperor of the Sifa. Worshipped, yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
they're, and I see her liking the thought of being like their little, you know, their god. And um, the fact that when things went bad, she was it, thinking of it like it was amounted to betrayal, you know? Well, and she also found that she was dependent on them. You know, she didn't mm-hmm. want that. She needed the charts. Like, yep. those going <laughs> left me out to sea, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, like, I mean, she was sort of wanted to explore more of Thra. Like, of course, the Skeksis sort of took her, you know, they pretty much took over the Scarath region at this point in time. And maybe sort of her big game was, you know, if she wanted to become Emperor, was to explore all of Thra and see what else is out there and, you know, to sort of overthrow, I, I, I guess, like, as a possibility with wanting to initially go out with the Gelflings to sort of seek all that out and um yeah who knows (laughs) so yeah I mean we are up to 24 and um and yeah so of course Amory and Kylan they sort of leave as uh Tay sort of stays back to try and fight against Skeksar who is holding Naya and so Amory and Kylan they they leave and this is where they sort of they finally reach um the Waystar and this is really interesting, you know, because Emery, Emery, he has to find the right tree, sort of like the right tree that can um, be able to extend the message across, which was, you know, really interesting. And so it's like him sort of a bit of trial and error, pretty much just, you know, touching each tree and finding out the one that sort of can, yeah, sort of reach the distance to, to the capital. And I think, you know, this tree that he finds, it was described as not the tallest of the cops, uh, but the sturdiest with a wide base and gnarled roots. Uh, its glow was not even the brightest. Its layers of bark somewhat dimming its inner glow. Uh, Amory smiled when he touched the tree's skin with both hands. He could hear everything through its body, the whole mountain, every buried water source and frozen river vein. Every street of Arar every trickle of water that ran below every vapor home. So I thought, yeah, like, like that was just such a nice uh, paragraph just sort of describing, you know, this tree and, and as sort of, you know, our heroes are about to, to attempt to dream fast with the tree to make the connection. So, and again, you know, all these different ways of dream fasting. So you've got Tavra, who's doing the dream fasting to send her message. So pretty much using her voice to send the message across. And then Kylan is playing the fur car to, to the tree to, to, to be able to spread the message, which is sort of similar to what he did uh, back in, at the end of song of the song of the dark crystal, where uh, he did the song to the tree and, you know, all, all the messages went on the leaves that sort of flew, flew out. Yeah, so that, uh, this is sort of a, a little bit of a good callback for it. So, um, uh, so Kylan, you know, he play, plays his tune, and then Amory he closes his eyes and he and he puts his forehead on the tree to dream fast. So, yeah, I guess I mean that sort of makes sense because Amory is sort of using his mind to dream fast, and, and you know, instead of his hands, and then the mind sort of with Amory sort of dream fasting at the same time that it's like her voice going through Amri's mind <laughs> and then you got um Kylan's uh Furka playing so that was uh yeah just, just again just very interesting way of dream fasting that sort of involves like three characters to spread this like one big message yeah and, and so of course 
she, uh, uh, Tavra, she sort of tells the message and, you know, pretty much just says a lot of things. She says, you know, hear me, vapor, hear me, Gelfling of Hurrah. I can only hope you hear me and recognize my voice. I don't have much time. So I'll tell you some parts. And, and overall, like she says about Skeksis of Elide and that her mum, that she was murdered by the ritual master and the general, she, you know, she, and pretty much she's at the end. She's sort of, so she, she was sort of saying, we will survive, we will injure her. For in the shadows, we will light the fires of resistance. But then unfortunately, the message got cut short when uh, Skeksa was just, she found where they were and she just started dis- destroying the tree which sort of sort of cuts off the connection, uh, essentially, yeah. I get the feeling that it, um, most of the message went through, though, because of the, the fires figuratively and, figuratively and literally being lit and changing yeah. color as they were all contemplating what they had heard. Something, something I'm wondering about, it said it was talking about the wall having dream etching all over it. Now... Do you think that has something to do with the uh, wall of prophecy? And did it burn down literally, or did it burn down just um, figuratively? Because he talks about how he can't even can't even see it because it's burning so bright. So I couldn't tell if it was like a spiritual fire that was just dream etching, or if there was an actual fire that uh, lit on the place and there was dream etching within it, or what happened. You know. I, I kind of wondered if this was the wall in the movie because there is a throne that Kira sits in. Yeah, because I think I see I, it might be figuratively because I was just trying to think because I think with the houses of the old ones, I don't think it's in. I mean, I mean, we sort of don't know exactly where that location is. Like I had heard whether that was in in, in an area with the stone in the wood sort of clan area, like. Because it di- like it didn't seem like like it was located in Hurrah. Otherwise, they w- we would have seen like towns and buildings, like empty buildings and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. What what are your thoughts on that, um, Peter? I would like it if they are physical etchings because it's a manifestation of the dreams. Um, for the Gelfling, you know, dream fasting is a very physical tie in some ways to the the real world they live in. Now, there's uh, less of a distinction that we make between dreams and reality than they do. Um, so having it, you know, manifest in reality and their reality is very powerful. You know, this is truth literally manifesting itself. Um, and also we get to see uh, Tavra in her true form again, which was a nice touch. So, you know, she appeared as she was, um, not as she is. So her obviously... Uh, I'm going at a bit of a tangent here. Her sense of self is still very strong if she's able to manifest herself as such. And to show her as the figure in the, within the etching, if it is yeah, Yes. Thank you. And because it matches up quite nicely. So there's a symmetry there that we have. And that also really pushes the, hey, this is the truth aspect of the message. And so, I mean, like you said, i that like it, I think it was actually confirmed like in that story that the message did went through uh, yeah as we we're seeing the flames from the vapor sort of changing to different colors and and then yeah Amy was trying to talk to Tavra that you know that it went through but she kind of disappeared so that was sort of interesting and um 
I um, didn't understand why Skeksa. Well, I, I can, but at the same time, the fact that she destroyed the Waystar, that's going to make it difficult to navigate at sea, too. And maybe she did that purposefully, or it might just have been a fit of rage for destroying those trees. And I'm thinking, you'd think that you'd know a little better than that, but maybe since she has the charts, that would mean that she'd be the only one who could actually... Um, navigate the waterways at that point maybe that was the idea and that the trees don't really matter and yes yeah, so i i guess you know we're, we're pretty much up to chapter 25 and as a fight with with skexar and um you know a bit of a fight here and there and i think um we did find out that um uh, she actually loses an arm uh because uh because i think uh who uh, i think tay yeah tay actually um uh, managed to chop her arm off <laughs> so uh but which is really impressive oh yeah yeah to to do that especially against the skexies like they seem like you know they were impossible to sort of you know take down uh real quick there was a line that i wasn't sure what Nea was referring to um they kind of were talking about what she said in the um what she said to them while they were fighting in the you know building and then she just says, she starts to say something, and then she's like, well, she's a liar like the rest of them. And I was wondering if you thought that if you got anything from that, like, do you think maybe they already have Gurgen, or maybe she was talking about uh, the fact that Skeksa said she wasn't going to put Naya in the reflector, but they just needed information about their bodies. I think that this is kind of tangential, but I think that's kind of the first time they've actually hinted at the fact. I mean, they've hinted at it before, but it's like she practically spells out that they want to take their other halves and possibly, I think, possibly drain them and try and drink their essence to reunite them. So the Skeksy would still be the one that was in control. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting theory. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's a very interesting theory. Like, um, because especially this, the, um, the Skeksis, they want to take over the world, so it's like for them to have the essence of, um, uh, of the Mystics of the Uru, like in, you know, to have the essence inside their bodies, that it's like, okay, well, this, yeah, just makes whether that makes the Skeksis even more powerful. Yeah, that that is really interesting. Yeah. This is a disturbing thought, but, you know, she said she wasn't, they weren't going to use the reflector on Nea. They didn't say that they wouldn't use it on Gurdjian. Yeah, they, because they just said they just needed them really for information. Yeah, and as he said, as she said, your bodies may have the answers to a question many of us have been asking. <laughs> Whatever they're planning is clearly something sinister because information about their bodies implies anything from using the reflector to dissection but it's one of those things that i think i get the feeling that they want to know if if they were to drink the essence of the uru if it would make them complete so i think that that's what they were uh thinking of doing possibly to gurgen and naya yeah and, and just seeing what happens yeah maybe if um if naya did get her essence drained drained or and went into Gurgen or or vice versa. Um, if Gurgen was, if his essence was getting drained and 
they get Naya to drink it. Yeah, which again, like just even just t- thinking about that is like, oh god, that's really disturbing. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, they would try it on something lesser than themselves before they would try it on themselves. Because that was the whole point of them having all those little animals in cages in there. They probably worked their way up until they tried it on a gelfling. And so, yeah, I mean, so with the story, I think the the gelfling characters actually see Onika's ship at the bay and sort of while Skeksar's down, they've reached, the, the message got reached across and they decide that they need to sort of essentially fly off the cliff um, to, to get to the ship. There's one more thing before we get onto the ship. I don't know. I felt like in the last battle... I, it's just a small criticism, but I felt like Kylan and Amory didn't get to do very much. It's like during the yeah. battle, they were mostly just being protective, and Naya and um, Tavra were the ones doing all the fighting. And I don't know, I, I was hoping that they'd get to do just a little more than that. I mean, we know that Kylan can use Ebola, and if he can use Ebola, I don't know why he didn't have one with him. And, you know, same thing kind of with uh, with Amri. He was training to use that sword throughout the book, and he used it to block one blow, and then Tavra got it and was using it. I was like, I, I wish he could have just improvised a weapon or something so that he wasn't just standing there and being protected. I, I know it is a matriarchal society, and they're very powerful female characters, but it's like, since Samway was the main character, I really wanted him to have... I, he did do the thing with the tree, which was very important. That was the most. That was the reason they were there. But at the same time, I was like, you know, they've been trying to portray Amory as capable and powerful, and in the end, he still ended up having to be protected. Like, it probably would have been nice if there was, like, sort of some payoff that I mean, whether that was something that, whether he was managed to sort of chop Skeksar's hand instead of take, whether that might have been like, that could have been maybe like a good sort of payoff to all the all the training that he's been doing with Tavro really paid off. And and of course, like early in the story, um, I think even he was trying to attack Skeksar early on in in the in the book, even though it was sort of Tavra that sort of did the controlling. Just yeah, just a thought about it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a progression. I mean, we can't go too quickly. So he went from not knowing how to handle a sword to being able to handle it and defend himself against a fully armed and grown Skeksis, which is pretty good. You know, he didn't fumble it or, you know, otherwise trip over his own feet. So having just been in communion with some trees (laughs) rather deeply and doing, you know, his primary goal, I think that secondarily defending against Askexis successfully is a big thing. And this, again, you know, he'll only get better and we might see it more as Nancy wants in the in the next book. So well, I think they, and the last thing I just they, wanted to say was that he's not a violent person. So, you know, full combat with Askexa is really Tay's or Tavra's department. And we saw that. It is, but I mean, they even said several times, protect them, like to Kylan and Amory. And I'm like, well, yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. at the same time, I thought you're all protecting each other. You know, I was kind of hoping there'd be just a little bit more of that. Because I felt like, you know, it would switch to Kylan and he's still putting up his furka. And I'm thinking, 
it would be nice if he could have just even shot off just a rock at her or something and you know had Amory have be able to hit her with a big branch or anything just so that it was like they weren't just standing there watching the fight and yeah, being protected I, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting whether we sort of get that bit of that payoff in, in the next book. But yeah, it is an interesting thought to, yeah, definitely, you know, think of all these sort of different options or the way things could have played out. It was it was good he was not afraid, though. They were very, he was very careful to write that, you know, he was standing up to the Skeksis and wasn't backing down when she was towering over him, hmm. which was a big deal. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, within the story, so, you know, they're trying to get to Onika's ship and then we found out that uh, Skeksa sort of had this sort of like an egg-shaped device that exploded. Um, don't know how it was sort of described, whether it was like a bit like a grenade or... That was my take, yeah. 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 So, um, and I think that, um, I think she hit Amri that sort of knocked him out. And then I think following on, I think Tay manages to get, she gets up and takes her uh, claws off with uh, Tavro's sword. Because actually, um, oh, yes, yeah, sorry, because that was a part, yeah, because with Tay, she was sort of, she fell into the snow because um, Tay was thrown against um, the tree. and um, But she manages to get up and takes her claws off um, Tavro's sword. Wasn't that when Tavro had actually taken over her body? Oh yeah, yeah, because um, oh, because yeah, we we actually found out yeah that that Tay actually died. Sorry, if that was an early spoiler. Oh no, but... no. I mean, I'm presuming everyone's <laughs> probably read read the books and um, you know, so, but yeah, I mean the the and I mean yeah, which was you know yeah sad you know with Tay you know who has died, but then so Tavro sort of comes up with a solution to use um, her body and essentially transfer her voice to the body, so. So now, like, Tavra sort of using the power of the Crystal Singer to move Tay's body, and, and pretty much sort of similar to the way that she moved um, Amri's body back in the Crystal Sea, and that Amri had seen what happened to Tay when she'd been struck by Skeksar's explosive device. But I don't know, I, like, I'm not too sure whether, if she has actually died, because I think I wrote in my notes that she'd been unconscious, unmoving, then it was yeah, only right. it was only yeah. Tavra that was keeping her in motion right now. Maya doesn't even know when she heals her up if she's going to come back or not. I mean, I got the feeling it was like her mind was in a coma, and she's not sure if her mind is actually dead or if it's you know if she's going to wake up at any point or you know if she's just not going to wake up at all. Yeah, because, I mean, as they sort of reached at Onika's ship, uh, so Naya, she does hear, heals Tay to an extent. But, yeah, I mean, as we sort of mentioned that, yeah, that she's still in a coma-like situation uh, for now. So, yeah, there was a bit of that moment, yeah, early on that we thought, oh, is she has she actually died, that sort of thing. But sort of thinking about that, it was actually uh, still alive, but just in a very coma-like situation. So It's kind of uh, disturbing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. And then I guess what was more disturbing is when we when they hear a metallic whistle and um, Skeksa sort of, her big sort of monster ship sort of appears and, and swallows um, Onika's ship. So very, very, the whole thing with ships and stuff, it, it just always reminds me a lot of um, Pinocchio in a way. With the whole, you know, the whales swallowing up the characters like Geppetto, Geppetto and Pinocchio and 
all those other characters. So yeah, it just, just always makes me think of Pinocchio um, like in that particular moment, yeah. <laughs> I did uh, think it was good when, um, when they do get swallowed up and um, it talks about him hearing it, kind of its wheezing breath and slow blood and everything. It finally made me realize, I think that the thing with the Dowson and their mounts that I said was a little bit um, disturbing to me before, I think it was almost more of a symbiotic relationship with the Gelfling and their mounts, but I'm thinking Skeksa is more like a parasite to this giant thing. That's always been my thought. Because mm-hmm. it, it's clearly hurting the creature uh, to, to follow her commands, but, you know, she would be the type that wouldn't care. Whereas, you know, the, at least the Gelfling seemed to care about their mounts and uh, not want them to get hurt and everything whereas with this creature you know I felt sorry for it at this particular moment because it sounded like it was in a lot of pain that are inside of its gut and the only way that they can get out is if she actually opens the door pretty much and I'm actually curious if they ever have an appendix on this uh, or uh, encyclopedia is how the heck did Skeksa get control of this giant beast in the first place? That probably would be a really interesting story. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm. I mean, because as we know, um, James Lee, um, he, he's working on um, sort of like the book called I think it's called Heroes of the Resistance, and sort of like a companion guide uh, to the show. So I mean, if there are some some things that are gonna that crossover you know between the show and the books whether there might be a few things like you know if we did manage to see like skeksars the the you know the monster ship um of a creature and have that a little story explained i think that would be that would be um such very very fascinating um just sort of continuing like expanding the mythology and and just getting to know some of the creatures and and all that you know in, in the world of thra and then, yeah, I mean, to quickly, you know, wrap, wrap it up, um, up to 26, chapter 26, which is, you know, it was, it was pretty short that, so now, like, all the characters are sort of inside Skeksar's uh, ship. So, uh, it's, you know, Amri, Kylan, Tay, with Tavra, and Onika, they're all together uh, with Naya, missing, apparently. So, they sort of find out that Naya somehow managed to get out of the monster ship or did yeah i mean i mean she she could just be she managed got out but maybe she's just hiding within the dungeon they don't really say they just say that she escaped exactly so it's hard to say she could be within the uh turtle or she could be on the remains of the ship or um any other uh number of things that i hated that except was uh, you know ending it on a cliffhanger and i'm like man i gotta wait (laughs) on the other boat to find out what happens (laughs) but you know yeah at the same time and considering like the it's hopeful that she's not in there with them because at least that means one of them is out and can possibly help rescue the others yeah i'm i don't know i'm like i kind of have an inkling that she probably did escape because i mean if she was like in the dungeon if it, if it was to end like whether like there was like a little passage of her at the end it's like you know she's um hiding inside the dungeon but then she gets caught by another Skeksis who's happened to be there and it's Skekso the Emperor. Then Skekso's, Skekso's like, oh, at last, we have found you. And 
like that you know that could have been like the the end of like that that book it might be a little better that it's ambiguous so that you don't really know what happened to her but i mean yeah i and it also like said leaves it a little more hopeful than all of them being in the dungeon and being ushered to their next you know destination whatever it might be but it's hard to say (laughs) Well, you know what I'm going for? I'm going for there's an escaped Gelfling prisoner still hiding on Skeksa's ship somewhere that Naya encounters and enlists their help to help get her friends free. So that is my guess. That would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, yeah. I would, uh, that, would, that would be really interesting, yeah. I don't know. Um, this is going to sound kind of mean, but I never really got attached to Ty. I don't know why, if it was just because I had only seen her at the beginning of the book, and then when she comes back at the end, it just seemed kind of, I don't know, surprising to me for some reason. Yeah, yeah, I guess because we've sort of forgotten about her, and then she, you know, then she comes back, you know, towards the end, it's like, oh, it's almost like, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, I almost felt like reading, like, those early chapters just to sort of remind myself of her character. Well, there's a reason for that. It's it's to make sure Amory gets the time in the spotlight. Uh, I it's because Amory needs the time to be in the oh, spotlight. Yeah. You know, you can't have mm-hmm. Naya going. Well, we should just do this because she's very forceful, and mm-hmm. so Amory would, of course, you know, just oh, okay, well, that sounds smart because you know I'm not used to doing things like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a good decision. I got the feeling that she was uh, the uh, the red shirt though. <laughs> Well, I kind of had a feeling that if someone was going to die, it was going to be her. <laughs> but uh, honestly, this might point, say Kylan it, would be the red shirt. Yeah, he's getting there, but um, I don't know. I mean, it might just be that I think maybe being some of these things that sound like I'm criticizing Joey. I'm not really. It's just like <laughs> it's like I predict them. So I don't know if it's that it's just it might just be me. Maybe it's because. You know, we think alike writing-wise because I'm like <laughs> sitting there going, yep, that, that Mariner is totally going to walk through that door and there she is. Yep. <laughs> you know. Well, no, there's foreshadowing at work here. We we see mm-hmm. things that hint at earlier in the book and here we are. <laughs> and there was foreshadowing with Ty too because um, she had a moment where she was the one who was weak and nearly and nearly died and it ended up being someone else that you know almost got sacrificed to save her and in this case uh-huh. she became the one who was doing all the fighting and ended up actually being the one that sacrificed herself yeah, well that's so. balance for you in this world it's it's all mm-hmm. about left and right up and down mm-hmm. yeah all different directions yeah so um, yeah, I mean, we just got a lot, lot to look forward to now. And I think, I think that pretty much wraps up with, uh, Tides of the Dark Crystal. So, you know, overall, like I really, I really enjoyed this book and, um, like the journey from Amory's point of view was, was really interesting. And I loved sort of, yeah, sort of the continuing sort of expanding of some of the mythology and all the different ways of dream fasting. I mean, we got, uh, dream fasting in the future, far dreaming and, there was a lot of big moments like in, in Tides of the Dark Crystal, um, especially early on in Tides, as we've just sort of seen in that uh, teaser trailer for Age of Resistance about um, we see the Chamberlain 
who is uh, riding those uh, those carriages, which I think they were called the Caroleagues, I think, that that were mentioned in the books that were in the show, so which was really interesting. And also, I guess, with the the death of the um, old Mordra and sort of, I mean, the whole journey has always been them trying to reach her out to, to, to get the message to her and for her to, to suddenly, you know, to die in this book was just, that was such a big moment and yeah, just really brought uh, repercussions for the events to come. So, yeah. I like the fact this book is a lot darker than the others and it shows that there are repercussions for what they're doing. Cause even though that was in the other books, it's like, Things are really coming to a head in this book. The Altamadra actually being murdered by the Skeksis and the fact that, you know, they're having so much trouble just uniting the clans in the first place and have something like that happen when you've got the queen that's pretty much considered, well, pretty much considered the queen of all the Gelfling getting murdered by the Skeksis. That in and of itself is symbolic and really dark. And it's interesting to see the Ske- that um, they actually fought back against the Skeksis and were actually man- managing to wound her that badly. It shows they're a bit more powerful than they initially are portrayed. But the thing is, these characters are hardened, you know, warriors at this point. Exactly. Whereas most of the other Gelfling are... Um, Peace, still peaceful and still not wanting to, you know, fight against these oppressors. And it's one of these things that I think it's very, this fight at the end was very telling that they had finally gotten to the point that they can fight back. But the Skeksi was, the Skeksi they have fought was still more powerful than they were even together. So. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And again, yeah, we just got so much to look forward to, you know, with the fourth book that's going to come out um, three days before the show, so with Flames of the Dark Crystal. So that's going to be really interesting to see, uh, you know, if many of the readers are sort of able to to read it in time or, or whether to hold off until the show comes out. I still got to decide what to do about that. So that's uh, going to be really uh, exciting time for all things uh, Dark Crystal. And yeah, I think we'll we'll wrap up the show of the Gathering Songs. Also, I will actually make an announcement on the show that this is going to be the last episode of the Gathering Songs for now. The show will probably come back in a much later, later time as we're sort of continuing, as we're sort of getting closer to the release of um, Age of Resistance. We're just going to restructure the show a little bit. I think we're going to put, make everything just sort of part of the one trial by stone show. So there, there will definitely be discussions with Age of Resistance when it comes out. Um, but then afterwards down the track, we, the show might come back. Um, I still haven't decided about that. But I just want to let all your listeners know that um, for, for now, this is probably the last episode of The Gathering Songs, but it may come back um, in the future. So I just wanted to say, Peter and Nancy, I, I, thank you so much for being uh, part of these podcasts and part of these discussions that we've done, you know, even since the early days of Trial by Stone, going through the Dark Crystal, the, the creation myths, and, and going through all of uh, Joe's books, um, it has been a fantastic uh, journey. It's been a lot of fun. It's been absolutely great. I've enjoyed every single minute I've been on this show with you. So thank you for having me here, and 
having so many great people to talk with. Absolutely, yeah. And um, so, Peter, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. And how can listeners uh, find more about your work? Well, they can just go to my website. It's dwimsaga.com. That's D-W-I-M-M-Saga.com. And whatever I'm up to is on there. Excellent. And uh, Nancy Gray, again, thank you so much for being on the show again. And um, how can our listeners uh, f- find where, where you are and, and what you do with your work? Well, I have a blog at nancygray.blogspot.com and I'm writer Nancy Gray on Facebook. Those are the two best places. I also have a website that's nancygray.net. Still have my six book horror series, Spine Chillers, available and my young adult fantasy trilogy, Blood Rain. Bit of in between projects, but I keep people updated as to what I'm up to. So <laughs> if anyone wants to know, they can reach me there. Excellent. And of course, all those links uh, will be in the show notes. So again, um, to everyone, thank you so much for listening to The Gathering Songs. And really, we're just simply at the beginning, um, you know, with for a lot of things that are going to come with um, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. We've just got so much to look forward to. It's a, it, I know it's a fantastic time to be a fan of the, of the Dark Crystal. So again, thank you so much. And um, definitely stay tuned for more episodes of Trial by Stone. You've already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls! To the crystal So that's all the time that we have for this episode of Trial by Stone. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcasts at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. We're also on Twitter at darkcrystalpod. We're also on Instagram at darkcrystalpodcast. Um, if you enjoyed the show and think that others will love it too, uh, please write a review on iTunes or on Facebook as well. Um, it'll, I'll greatly appreciate that. And if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, hit the like button and subscribe. Thank you all so much. And come back next time for more Trial by Stone.